Welcome back to class, everybody. I'm Dr. Collins. And I'm Dr. Rule. And welcome back to Reality 101. Um, we are covering, is it the fourth episode of Married at First Sight? Married at First Sight, season 16 in Nashville, episode four, where it's post-wedding time and the couples meet their new in-laws. Yeah. And so we'll get into the episode in a second. Um, I think Dr. Rule and I are on the same page that this is kind of a nothing sandwich. Um, but <laughs> the, um, we just wanted to remind all of you um, to check out our Patreon. We have already released an intro kind of bonus episode introducing ourselves to you all. And then our first episode, which is the compilation of the three wedding, um, the three wedding episodes. And if you want to have access to all of that, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Pandora Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, really anywhere, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. But also, if you want bonus content, please join our Patreon. Um, you can go on Patreon. Um, the link is in the show notes. It is reality backslash reality 101. And we have multiple tiers for all of our different types of students. And there's all types of goodies and incentives and bonus material. Again, um, also a heads up that starting this Sunday, we'll be covering the new 90 Day Fiance the other way. We are so excited for this. We are so excited to see Danielle and Johan from Love in Paradise is going to be on. Uh, and yeah, I think all new couples besides that. But again, check us out. If you want to access 90 Day Fiance, it's going to be behind the paywall. It's going to be uh, starting at our first tier um, on Patreon. And when we have tiers for everybody in, in terms of comp um, price and um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. There's We're creating a whole world. We're creating an ecosystem of our classroom. So please also join us on all of our social media as well. That's right. So you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. This is going to be the place to stay up to date with our new episodes, as well as new releases for this show that, of course, we're going to be weighing in on and that we'd like to engage with you about as well. Hear your feedback, your thoughts, your predictions. Um, and again, you can join at those different levels in our Patreon in order to submit questions you'd like us to think about or engage with others who are listening to both our podcast and watching the show. Um, we are on that 48-hour countdown to the new 90-day The Other Way. I am so excited. Um, and also, uh, just to give you that handle for our social media, you can find us at Reality101. That's R-L-T-Y-101. 101. We'd love to have you um, engage with us in the social media space. And I want to give a shout out to those who are already following us and who have already subscribed on our Patreon. We see you and we appreciate your support. We really do. And we're excited to have you. And again, we're excited to be in more communication with all of you. Um, so please especially join um, our seminar tier on Patreon if you also want to communicate that way. We love the likes. We love the comments on social media. But when you join our seminar tier on Patreon, you can also have access to me and Dr. Rule in terms of asking different questions um, related to the episodes or really other things um, related to reality TV that we would love to feature and cover on the show as well. 
Um, so I guess we can kind of get started um, with Married at First Sight season four. Um, I do have to say really quickly that I am praying to the lifetime gods, the Married at First Sight gods, that this season gets a little more interesting, um, that it gets a little more dramatic. Right now, I'm feeling I'm, it's taking me to Bummertown um, in terms of some of <laughs> some of the codependencies and the triggering that's going on and that I can foresee. Um, but there's a couple interesting moments um, in this episode. What about you, Dr. Roll? Do you think, like, what are your initial thoughts about this episode? Yeah, I, I almost think that they're trying to bury the lead a little bit um, because in between, you know, an two-hour segment of relative boringness. Um, I'm getting this commercial for previous episodes to come where there's going to be some big shocking confession that's never happened, lots of tears, accusations of lying. Um, I don't know what it is. It's not here yet because we're in pretty still water. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, like I said, this is the episode where the couples are married. They are waking up together in the morning for the first time as a married couple. They are meeting with their new in-laws and their new family members to sort of rehash and introduce themselves. And then um, at the very tail end, the couples, with one exception, all head out to their honeymoon location and it's setting up for the next episode, episode five, to be all about um, what they do while they're in Jamaica. Right, right. And so I guess we can kind of start with something that you signposted, right? There's everyone goes to Jamaica except for one couple. Um, So do you want to start with Shaq, Shaquille and Kirsten? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so Shaquille and Kirsten, um, I, you know, let's, let's just go into, I think the most interesting thing for me so far is that Shaquille in true higher ed fashion has to attend a conference. (laughs) I felt this so deeply. Um, I think everybody in higher ed understood the very real struggle. So he's going to a conference um, and has taken it upon himself to make the decision that Kirsten is also going to the conference. So what did you think about that? Did you think that that was the right move or was that maybe an overstep of his husbandly influence already? Well, okay, so I'm of two minds. Firstly, I know that the process that they go go through is something like six months, right? Starting from the initial questionnaire or when you can apply or have someone else apply on your behalf up into... If you make it down the list, I think it's something like the last six weeks, and that's intense interviews. And then only until two weeks before your wedding do you know if you've been matched. And a little tea is that you actually find out you've been matched usually between with three to five people. So yeah, because um, it's very common for the first or second choice to drop out. So that's that's our little tea for the day. Who knew? But, uh, yeah, who knew? Um, so yeah, keep it in mind that a lot of the people that are getting married are actually getting married to the second or third choice for them, um, which is like, oh, well, sometimes y'all are doomed for failure and now we're seeing it. But in terms of Shaquille, I think that he probably just had a conference and that was always a date that was going to conflict. And if he didn't, if he wasn't show, um, chosen for the show, this just would have been another Saturday. 
as an academic, I immediately was like, Jackson, Mississippi. I wonder if he's at Jackson State. I wonder if he just flew in to go to like, I was just like, wondering what conference this was. I think he's getting his EDD. So I don't know the education space, but um, I was shocked. I'm going to say something kind of controversial about Kirsten though, that I think she might be getting a little bit of a bad edit because I don't think she was overly disappointed about this. I think she was like cheekily making fun of him. And I probably would have done something like that to my new husband as well. Um, You know, saying things like, oh, well, you better practice. You better make it good. Um, I didn't understand why she was sitting in the hotel all day. Like go to that conference. If I have to be bored, you have to be bored, sweetie. Like go to the conference. But um, no, I think that that's totally cute. And I love when my manager, partner, boyfriend person comes to my conferences and sees what I do. And it's important for them to see what you do. Yeah, no, I I do love that. I love that she got a glimpse into what his life and profession actually entails. And I think it is a good opportunity, right, if it went off well for her to support him in his career. And, you know, okay, they missed the first day of their honeymoon in Jamaica, but... You know, I agree. I I think it's possible that the show is trying to hype up her disappointment a little bit more than may actually be the case. Um, Yeah, I I think that's totally possible because she didn't throw a fit. You know, she didn't freak out. Um, Like you said, she made some some remarks, but it's it's something that's different. And so I think the show is always going to highlight that and amp it up as much as they can. Yeah, but there was a scene, like the very first scene of the episode that I want to get your take on. When the episode opens, we open with Shaq and Kirsten, and it's when they are, um, it's right after the wedding day, right? And he's asking, they're having a conversation, and I actually think their banter is very organic, um, mm-hmm. Not, and it doesn't seem like, you know, she's kind of like over the uptightness that they had framed her as in these first couple episodes. However... She asks for a kiss. Oh, yeah. And then she basically like, blink, blink, like Charlie Brown stares at him. Yes. And it's it's clear that I was like, oh, this is going to be a classic pursuant avoidant relationship dynamic where he is always going to be seeking validation from her. um, And she is never going to give it, if nothing else, just to have that power over him which is really unfortunate because in her in the moment interviews, she does say kind things about him and she does say that she's interested in him. She says that she's interested in getting to know him. But when he says, can I have a kiss? All she says is nothing. She says nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, and and shuts him down absolutely in that moment. And we talked about this a little bit on our last episode, how she was setting up, um, you know, First of all, the idea that she was going to give him her cheek to kiss in their wedding um, as a signal to her friends that she was not that into him. Of course, this is based on nothing but appearance because they haven't even exchanged words um, and that she was making this plan. And then, of course, they do exchange their vows and she gives him the cheek. Um, That's fine. She has every right to do that. But then later she says, oh, I did that because I really wanted him to ask permission, right, if he could kiss me. Um, We talked about that being a little bit of this sort of virtue, value, signaling. Um, But then, of course, right, like we have this moment where he does the thing that she says she wants him to do. 
And it's made clear that it wasn't actually just about the ask. It, it's that she doesn't want to kiss him, right? And whether that's because she's not attracted to him, whether that's because she's setting up this sort of power dynamic, um, I'm sure we'll we'll learn more as the season goes on. But I'm hearing you say you definitely think it's a power move. Yeah, and I think... I mean, I have to say that ultimately I'm very surprised and impressed at how affectionate they are. Because again, how it was set up for us at the beginning of the season and the weddings, I thought this was just going to be a DOA relationship. She wasn't going to touch him. And it was going to be almost Chris and Alyssa vibes where she just had already said no. Um, But, you know, again, there's banter. There's a little bit of affection, even if they're not kissing. She says that she slept well. She seemed comfortable with him. And... I really enjoyed that moment. I think it was like the last scene of the episode when he's kind of giving her shit about not brushing her teeth at night. And it was the first time we saw him express either like disgust or playfulness with her. And she was like, oh, who, me? Like she, you know, she had two necklaces of pearls to grab. She would have, she would have grabbed both of them. But she was like, who, me? I'm so perfect. And I just, I love that moment. Cause I was like, you, you get yours. Good for you. Sometimes she doesn't brush her teeth at night. Yes. This is, <laughs> this has been his in so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, does this change or update your prediction for their marriage success? Do you remember what, what you said last week? I think they were doomed. I think I said that they were an F. Um, they're exceeding my expectations for sure. I don't think it updates it. I think that she's still on the train to find an excuse mm-hmm. um, to not like him. And I, of course, again, think that it has nothing to do with him. I think it's all about her having set up a certain expectation and an archetype of a husband um, that he's somehow, and to be honest with you, no one would fit until she matures differently um, as someone who's ready to actually be married to a real three-dimensional human with flaws. Yeah. Yeah. I, also am going to say that I don't think that they are going to stay married. I think they're going to go for the divorce route. Um, And, you know, a couple of reasons for that. It's concerning to me um, that we're only four episodes in. They're really just now getting to know each other, but she's already set up this practice of, you know, establishing a boundary and, it not being totally clear why that boundary is. And so I'm wondering if it's going to come to light in previous and forthcoming episodes, you know, maybe that there's something else going on. Maybe she's thinking she's actually not that ready to be married, um, you know, and what that really comes with. Maybe she's really not all that into him. Um, I'm just concerned that maybe there's going to be a reveal and that that is part of her hesitancy that we're seeing now come out in a couple of different ways. Mm, Yeah, no, I mean, but besides that, I really have nothing else to say about them. I did want to mention though, really quick on the Reddits that one of the people from her reception did weigh in and said that they did kiss at the reception. Okay. And so, yeah. So again, it just leads me to believe that, you know, a lot of what we're seeing, it's just very highly edited. Um, But there's still, doesn't mean that the narrative, there's not elements of the narrative that's still there. Right, right. And at the end of the day, you know, this has to be entertaining to get audiences to watch it, 
to have people produce podcasts about it. Um, and so the edit is absolutely something we can always take into consideration. That's why I love the Reddits. Uh, for those who, who maybe didn't listen to the last episode, you'll know that Dr. Molly is all into the spoilers and knowing all of the details. And I am trying to preserve my innocence <laughs> and just watch uh, the edited content as it comes out in real time. So let us know what you think. Are you getting all the back details or are you going week by week, hanging on a thread like me? <laughs> so who should we move on to next? Who's piquing your interest? Okay, so let's go over to Chris and Nicole. Um, I was thinking about them when you brought up this topic of affection because Nicole is like gripping <laughs> Chris's arm in pretty much every scene. Um, I think they are in, you know, married at first sight bliss. I completely agree. Um you know, in a lot of ways, not to pathologize everybody, but also to pathologize everybody, there's, I think there's also a bit of a, um, an, um, a codependency burgeoning here. Um, it's clear that she has never had that nice of a guy before. Yeah. And it is also very clear that he has never had someone so into him. Right. And they both don't know what to do with it. That is really clear. I mean, at one point we see her starting to tear up because, you know, and like crying is and being vulnerable is amazing and it's a sign of strength. And sometimes it's also a window into see how one someone is in a, has an inability to process their emotions outside of dissolving into tears, right? And an inability to put language or words into those emotions. And I think it's clear also that she's processing either past relationships that have been abusive or just some negative self-talk and self-image work that needs to be done still. Um, and he's really intuitive and he's picking up on these things and calling her beautiful. And But we see him pulling, not necessarily pulling back, but establishing boundaries when she's like, basically, are we going to have sex on our honeymoon? Yeah, right. He's like, oh, well, um, you know, I, it's a romantic place. And it's like, whoa, you know, like now we're starting to see again, where this like pursuer, we know who's the pursuer in the relationship. Yes, yes, yes. And I love that she had to clarify to the camera directly that she's not saying she loves him yet. She had to be very clear about that because um, you can tell it's right on the tip of her tongue. So <laughs> she wants to say it, she's holding herself back. Um, I hope that they give you know time for the relationship to develop really um, so that it, it doesn't just you know, ignite really fast, but then burn out really quickly, turn out to be something that's different when, than what they were anticipating. Um, I hope that they can do a little bit of the instant chemistry, but slow burn for the longevity of the relationship. And I also want to return to what you said too about their past coming up. And I think particularly with Nicole, this was a topic that we have to talk about. She reveals that she was in a previous relationship where there was domestic violence and abuse happening. And she actually shares that, um, you know, this past partner said that as a display of her love, you know, she would let him burn her arm with a cigarette. And of course, she still has that scar and was showing that to Chris. Um 
yeah, like let's, let's just process that a little bit. I think that's the first time that's, that that's come up on married at first sight. Yeah. And, and she talks about how that relationship was early on. Right. And so I, I don't know if she put the number to it, but when she was talking about it, I was thinking like 1920. And I know for myself, I'm thinking about some of my first relationships and, um, the level of toxicity that was present. Um, but again, I think it has a lot to do with um, self-image work that maybe things that happened to her, trauma that happened to her early on in life that led her to believe, again, like she says that if, you know, yeah. well, if you really do love someone, you do let them do whatever you they want to you. And if you want to be loved, you have to have no boundaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. And, and she shares too that that has influenced her self-image right saying that you know she's she's not enough that she is lucky to have anybody feel positively or affectionately toward her um and you know i just want to share with everybody that that's not true and there's a lot to learn from what nicole is brave enough to open up and share about um you know that any of these behaviors that we're hearing about here are absolutely under the category of domestic violence abuse and manipulation and that, um, you know, even this idea that someone could be unlovable is absolutely not true. So, you know, I I know that this is a persistent problem, right, in society. And um, so many of our listeners and people that we know just through our daily lives are dealing with this type of thing. And so I just really want to applaud Nicole for her vulnerability um, with Chris, but also with us as viewers, right, and tackling something that's very painful, um, but that she seems to be working through. And yeah, I just... My heart goes out to her and I'm wishing her all the best. Yeah. And I also want to say that although personality wise, she might not be someone that I would be friends with. She, it's important for listeners and for her to know, I think that how you act does not need to be temperature checked by other people. So for instance, in these other episodes, she says to the other women who are in Unmarried at First Sight, oh, if I get too much, you know, just say pineapple. Or she tells her husband, you know, just tell me, you know, if I, if I get too much, or I know sometimes I can be crazy. I can basically just be excessive and you don't need other people to wrangle you in all the time. You can be yourself and you can, you know, they don't need to, they can draw their boundaries. You can trust yourself to draw your boundaries and you can still be lovable and liked and feel good about yourself. Right. Cause it tells me again, that how she feels about herself is however the crowd feels or whichever way the wind is blowing, which is always determined by someone else. Right. And yeah, she should stand in that. By the way, she looks gorgeous without makeup. Like yeah. I said last week, kind of rudely that the makeup artist did her dirty, but I'm, I think it's no, Chris is right. She's a natural beauty. I was like, Whoa, girl, you are going to look good on the beach. Yeah. And then, you know, Chris too opens up that, you know, the last time he was on vacation, he was with an ex and, um, you know, there was a lot of distance, all was not well in paradise, even though they were in paradise. And yeah, he just seems so happy to have somebody who's into him and who I think is maybe validating him as a love interest, as somebody who can be taken seriously as a potential partner in the same way that I think Nicole is feeding off of that feedback from him too. So yeah, I again think that they are 
you know, maybe evenly matched in that way, we'll put it. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, no, there's a lot of, they're karmically matched. There's like, they're mirroring other things in each other that they're gonna, um, that I think they're gonna work out together, which is exciting. But I wanted to get your take, and maybe this is where you're going before I cut you off, on the meeting with the parents. Okay, so the meeting with the parents. Um, what specifically did you So want? specifically just about when he met with her parents, right? And her dad was grilling. I was like, oh, this is where that FBI stuff comes in. Yeah. <laughs> when he was grilling her, he's like, oh, you know, you could have been, you could be a serial killer or you could be saying all the nice things. I don't think Nicole's dad knows how bad it could be. We have Chris's on this show, okay? We have... What are, what, what's like? I, I don't remember the guy from DC that's evil. Um, but we have other creeps on the show. And I was like, the, listen, this man is amazing. Chris is, you really lucked out. This is like. He is Mr. Nice Guy. He is Mr. Nice Guy. Up to his tagline. <laughs> At least from everything we've seen so far, all indicators point to him really being Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, there's really nothing. I brought up the, the meeting with the parents, but listen, again, nothing burger. It's almost as if it's rehearsed with some of these people like, oh, we're going to push you and we're going to let you know more about them. And then they'll just appease them with platitudes. And then we cut the scene. Okay. I, I actually think that perhaps the most interesting part about this was that Jeffrey Dahmer came up twice uh, <laughs> in this episode. You know, I don't know if that's just because of where we are as a society at the moment, but this was filmed before Dahmer came out, right? And sort of reignited the public interest in Jeff Dahmer, right? So that's um, sort of a bizarre overlap. <laughs> You're like, what is the, yeah, the cross promotion going on? But also you mean Jeffrey Dahmer who targeted Black queer men? Like, I'm, he, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's it's really bizarre that he's so in the public consciousness. Um, yeah, there seems, I, I hope that maybe <laughs> Netflix and Lifetime have worked out some sort of right, promotion because it came up twice in a very bizarre sort of way. Really? As an aside, did you watch Dahmer? I watched the first episode um, when I was on vacation. And it was too serious for my vacation. Um, it was also very triggering. Um, I mean, not because of anything I've been through personally, but it just was so anxiety producing. But I did see that the um, it just won like a Golden Globe or everyone's being nominated in it. And so did you watch it? I did watch it. Um, I watched the first episode and I thought, if the rest of <laughs> this season is at the fever pitch of episode one, I'm not going to be able to make it through, but um, I, I did, I pulled myself together. I watched it triggering anxiety. Yeah. Just all, all those descriptors that you used again, not because of anything I've personally experienced, but it really strikes fear and concern on, on a very deep, I think human natural level. Um, yeah, it, it was just just a pretty interesting show as kind of, again, a, a pop culture phenomenon, a lot of controversy about how it's, it's being received and, um, you know, the audiences that are watching it, how it's being marketed and listed. So yeah, just 
again, fascinating that it comes up again in Married at First Sight, not once, but twice. twice. uh, With that said, do we want to give our prediction for Chris and Nicole? I think they're, you know, to your point about moving fast, I think they're moving at a clip where some hearts are going to get broken on this honeymoon. Um, Because again, she's clearly pursuing him hard and she is love bombing him because she's being love bombed and it, she and that's not by his fault um but yeah i think the the love bombing is gonna especially they're in an i know i know i keep introducing um inter, uh, interrupting myself but they're in an experience where they're constantly comparing themselves to other couples who are in the exact same experience and so i think chris is gonna say like whoa let's slow down maybe in the real world i would have just married you in on six weeks and you know whatever but I think he's going to rein it back and she's going to take it personally. Mm, mm, yeah. I mean, I could definitely see that happening. I have them as a yes in my prediction, mostly because I think that they are both very eager to have a, a relationship and a relationship that meets, you know, what we would call success. And in this case, in the world of married at first sight, success is not deciding to get divorced at the end of the experiment. Now, whether they're going to be lifelong partners, whether they're going to be happy um, for the duration of their relationship, however long it is, that I'm less sure about, but I think they're going to make it to D-Day together. I agree. I think she's one of those people that's going to be pregnant in like a year. We will see. We will we see. Shall. Okay. What couple do you want to talk about next? Um, You want to go over to Dominique and McKinley, Mac, Dom and Mac. Dom and Mac. Yes. <laughs> um, Mac. First thing on the top of my notes, I was like, oh, they want to fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that first scene they're just like staring at each other so what are you gonna do tonight I don't know what are you gonna do tonight I'm like you guys are gross (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah so okay at the top of my notes is again that he gets compared to Jeffrey Dahmer Um, (laughs) line number one for me a more accurate comparison (laughs) (laughs) but again his mom okay so we have McKinley's mom entering the storyline in kind of a major way in a similar way as Eris's cousin um we'll get to them in a minute but yeah McKinley's mom is not happy yeah and she wasn't just unhappy at the wedding she is unhappy meeting Dominique at the post-wedding breakfast um yeah, what was your read on that situation? You know, okay, so in this meeting we learn, um, well, no, I guess we didn't learn this, we knew this, but that Dominique's mother initially signed her up. Yeah. Um, we learn, yeah, like you're saying, mom is, McKinley's mom's still a little pissed. We get, a, for me, it really finally resonated. I'm like, oh, they're not from Nashville, they're from Michigan, okay? And again, I'm from Wisconsin, I'm a fellow Midwesterner. I was like, okay, so I, I'm seeing where these people are thinking here, which is that, you know, he definitely is the crazy and so they think that that is you know whatever he is doing is crazy um i would also venture to say in midwestern culture that this kind of upholding the family name is not as 
prevalent as like maybe in the South or the Northeast, of course, um, especially when it's attached to money. So I don't know if it's so much as embarrassing the family, but I think it's almost like, man, he's going on TV again. Because by the way, folks, Mac has been on several reality TV shows. Yes. Say more. Okay. So he has been spotted on multiple HGTV shows. He flipped houses for a minute. Okay. Okay. So, but not as the client, as a worker. Is that right? Um, no, like as the person flipping the house, like he bought a house and then he flipped it and they're okay. following him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, on, on the show, they set it up as he's, he runs a cannabis business. Yeah. yeah that's not, that's not registered anywhere. So when they say that, what is his tagline? He's the something dreamer or something like that. Mm-hmm. He hits it and quits it a lot. So I, I think that this is like, an, this truly is an experiment for Mac. Um, but sorry, back to your, to your, to your point. I, I don't know. I mean, we just get more of their mom, her, his mom's kind of veiled racism. I think, I mean, again, nothing burger and their food looks gross. What did you think about this meeting? Yeah. So I watched again, the after party um, about mm-hmm. <laughs> after this episode and Dominique was pretty insistent that McKinley's mom is less irritated than she's coming off in the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of talk just about her, you know, facial expression being unsure, perhaps disappointed. Um, and again, you know, perhaps part of that is Dominique and McKinley being in an interracial relationship, perhaps now that we have this background information, that's because McKinley is a little bit all over the place and, you know, is becoming a TV regular. Um, Yeah, who knows? But she's irritated. I I am going to stand by that. Um, The other thing that was interesting to me about them is when they're actually going to the honeymoon, I thought it was hilarious that he was saying that he gets anxiety in the middle seat on the airplane and therefore must only fly first class. He's my kind of guy. I'm telling you, he's a grifter. Okay. (laughs) Um, Not seeing anything wrong with this. If if you must. (laughs) You know, but I just thought that that was hilarious. Like, I always feel like, just say you want to fly, fly first class, man. Just say it. It's okay. Well, I'll know why. <laughs> you need to just say that you get severe anxiety from sitting in the middle seat. Let us know if you get severe anxiety <laughs> in the middle seat. And if your anxiety is so high that you buy a first class ticket. I understand flight anxiety. Um I don't see it being particularly elevated in only the middle seat. (laughs) I I could even understand if you're like, I can't see out the window. That makes me anxious. I need to have a window seat. Okay. But maybe it's just the people on both sides. I don't know. Let us know. Have you ever experienced this? I know I have. The question then, the follow-up question is, did you buy a first class ticket to avoid the middle seat? No. And that's where class iterates. There are (laughs) people who can buy their way out of anxiety. And there are those of us who are just forced to wrestle with it and pay our $20 copay every other week for our therapist. Because 
Man, if my anxiety had a, if I had an anxiety budget like that, who knows what I'd be buying? I love that. An anxiety budget. It's hilarious. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, um, what, okay. did you, what did you think about the meeting though with, with the other way around with him, with her mom and her grandma and her aunt? I don't particularly remember anything from it. Was there something that you noted? Well, they go back in on the race train. They're like, yeah. I mean, and I, again, like from first blush, they don't seem like the people that would want to constantly talk about race. And so I love that they're doing it because I'm sure you agree with this. I don't think people need to only be talking about race in interracial relationships I'm in an intra-race relationship and we're constantly talking about race. I think it should just always be talked about if you're in the American context. Mm-hmm. But they go, you know, they ask him again, you know, well, she's had experience dating white guys, but we haven't. And so we know she's used to it, but we ain't. So grandma goes in and she's like, do you basically only date white women? And right. he goes, I have dated mainly white and Latina women, which tells me white passing Latina women. And then he's been on dates with some black women, but it hasn't been as successful. And I'm like, no, you haven't. <laughs> yeah, I th- I thought that was interesting too, right? That he said he's gone on dates, but never had success mm-hmm. with these black women that he has um, gone out with, you know, and whether or not, right, racism is present in those particular instances um we don't know we're not privy to but i think it does say something specific about anti-black racism being a discrete thing um that is playing out here right where dominique is black and that is a very particular kind of racial, um, you know, engagement with a particular racial history that is different um, from other forms of racism affecting people of color or other just forms of marginalization in society, right? Anti-Black racism is a very particular thing. And so it's interesting that even though he says he's dated other women of color, you know, um, or perhaps these are white passing Latinas, you don't know, um, that he does not have experience dating Black women. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so it's very unique. And there's also unique um, racial markers that come up in this episode, in their later conversation and within this conversation with his family. Like, for instance, um, when she's talking about oh, I like to catch my catfish and I put it, you know, I've even broken them down and I put them in my freezer. And he goes, I think I've ever had catfish. Catfish is a mainstay in African-American cuisine. That doesn't just tell me that he's never eaten in a Black home. It's telling me he's never been to a soul restaurant. Like you live in Nashville, you've never had catfish before? Yeah, I was also confused by that. Um, Again, maybe the Midwest was stepping in here, but... You know, also, McKinley, go get some catfish. You're going to be happy. <laughs> it's the cheapest one at the market. I'll, t- I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, right. Like, I think you have a you have a good point, though. I mean, I know we're joking, but like, how do you miss such a mainstay staple food, particularly in that region that is so um, central, right, to life that your now wife literally goes out and catches them cleans them and has a 
curated collection of catfish in her freezer and you've never even had it on an off chance at someone's home or in a restaurant off a menu like there's a little bit of a disconnect right how has that how has that come to pass yeah and then we hear it again what you're saying right this subtle anti-blackness when she meets with his with his family um which is comprised solely of white women by the way um when they say would you ever be open to moving to michigan and she really stumbles right and it's clear that they haven't even thought oh well would a black woman want to move to the sticks in michigan would it be comfortable for her would it be comfortable for our grandchildren that's and they basically turn it to a oh well you know are you too good for michigan or why not it's like sis (laughs) who wants to move there yeah i you know i don't know um and again i can just say that his mom does not seem to be particularly kind Um, at least in these moments from the edits we're getting, she does not seem to be in support of the relationship and it doesn't even seem like she's empathetically approaching Dominique like, oh, you are perhaps as crazy as my son. You also went on this insane experiment show. You know, she seems really sort of disapproving across the board and not shy about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's kind of more of the the same narrative that we had from the other episodes. Does this change the way you think that uh, of their trajectory or what's going to happen next? For me, it doesn't. For me, they're a no. Um, again, we have this trailer that seems to suggest that she has some confession. Um, you know, I don't know. She's shown crying. It seems to be her. Um But also that aside, the family disapproval, I think, can't be undermined here. Um, It's a big deal. If you go into something as crazy and sort of radical and unconventional as getting married at first sight, if you don't have the people around you supporting you, um, I don't know what your chances are for overcoming the issues that are going to arise not only in any relationship, but particularly in a relationship created under this very um, specific set of non-traditional conditions. Um, and so I think for that reason, you know, they're, they're no for me. Yeah. What do you think? Completely agree. I, and I'm super curious to see what these secrets are. Um, and I'm curious to see what happens? I mean, I hope at the end of the season, we even have two couples making it to D-Day at all, even if the answer is no. So I think, like I said, I think this is going to be an interesting season where they're going to have to really retool after it because it's just one of already setting itself up as one of the most unsuccessful seasons. Okay. So I was going to ask, have there been any seasons where nobody made it? No. No, right? Mm. It's usually about 50-50 typically yeah approximately there's There's, make it some that don't isn't it yeah I think the statistics are like there's been over 50 couples 13 percent say yes on dd d-day and only one percent are still together of that I think something like that it's it's a category it's quantifiably qualitative like qualitatively it's an unsuccessful show it's an unsuccessful experiment 
it, and so at this point, well, that's why we're, you know, it's just entertainment at this point. So, okay. And here we are coming back to reality TV. Nevertheless, we watch it. Why? Because we like to see how it plays out. Yeah. And also like I identify with these people. I am a millennial. I think millennials are an interesting generational shift in our country, specifically in the nation state where we have all of these traditional values of marriage, nuclear family, middle-class life, whatever. And now we live in this new century where guess what? Middle-class is dead. Nuclear families, we turns out they don't really work and are not successful for children. Um, it's hard to make money. And by the way, we date on apps now, right? And so when you apply these archaic, um, tra traditional, um, I guess basically just practices like arranged marriage, we, we put these practices on people like us just to see, hey, see if it will work. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, none of it's working, right? Mm -hmm. It's not an answer. Married for Sight is not an answer to like Hinge or Tinder or online dating. It's actually a progression of it, right? We're so desperate to find human conne connection now um, in basically what's like turning into the end of the world that we're just going on shows to get matched up with people. And it's nothing, it, the chances are just as low as if you're shooting from the hip on Tinder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's also interesting to me, though, is that even in the midst of this unconventional approach, we still have the very traditional institution of marriage, right? And particularly, you know, um, marriage between a man and a woman, right? So it's interesting that we sort of have all these factors um, that you just laid out for us, Dr. Molly, but nevertheless, it comes back to this very traditional um, function. And again, right, is not that successful. But also, like you said, too, as viewers, we're not just watching because we're particularly invested in Chris or Nicole or Eris or, you know, anybody in particular, we're watching because we like to see how these dynamics play out, right? What are the interpersonal interactions? Where can conventions be tossed off? Where can um, sort of like the boundaries be pushed? And there's something different about it. So the show is much less actually about the success of the people. It's more about the process. Yeah, it's the process and it's what do we do with all of these traditional practices? And yeah, can I would also I really want to add also that it's not just marriage, but it's monogamy. Yes. And right. Since we cover reality TV, and I know so much of what I watch is polygamous shows and seeking brother husbands, which I really want us to cover in March, and all these like just different family formation in general. Um, my teen, what is it, my teen pregnancy or 16 and pregnant, right? We're just seeing now all of these different variations of how family and love and companionship can be formed. And when, you know, it's 2023 and I hear this 35, this stunning woman who's 35 and owns her own business and doesn't need a man say, no, but I, I need a husband to be complete. It's like, wow, you know, it's still there. Like these cultural mores of the US of A from 1965 are still really prevalent, even in the forefront, even of American cisgendered women today. Yep. Right. Right. And marriage, like the premise of married at first sight is considered to be the end line, the goal line, right? 
it's not about a survey of how many of these couples are happy, right? Or how many of them want to continue getting to know each other? How many of them want to continue to live together? It's how many of you want to stay married in a presumed to be monogamous relationship? Yeah. So really fascinating to think about marriage as an institution in that way. And it's its failures, its imperfections, um, and then also at times when it is achieved as the hallmark of success, but again, still perhaps imperfectly. Yep. And completely only judged on the length and the duration of the relationship. If you make it to D-Day, that is seen as a success for them. Whereas there's no cookie for getting to 60 year anniversary in an abusive relationship, right? But in America, right? The longer you're together, it's a very kind of Saturnian thinking is just the longer you're together, that that equals happiness. It's just not true. It's just not true. And we're seeing that in a compressed environment. So fascinating show. Super interesting. I mean, it's still why we uh, tune in to watch. (laughs) Okay. So what train wreck should we go to next? How about Eris and Jasmine? Okay. That's exactly who I was going to say too. So Eris's cousin is still very much on the scene and she grills Jasmine at this, again, post, um, post-nuptials brunch where they have an opportunity to get together. His other cousin's there. His mom is there. He's not. It's just um, the family members and Jasmine, his new wife. And Jasmine is criticized for giving an answer and coming off as too much of a pageant girl, right? The implication being that her answer's her responses um, to their questions are prepackaged, perhaps too put together. What did you think um, of of her answer? Um, I don't see anything wrong with the way that she speaks, to be honest with you. Um, it, I, I would I wonder if um, she would have the same critiques if if Jasmine were a man. Because if he were a man, then these would, she would have been like, oh my God, like he's really solid. Oh, it's so, it's amazing that he's thought about this so much. Oh, I really think it's sweet that he prepared for our meeting. But since she's a woman and she's a pageant queen, I guess it's too rehearsed, right? I think this is just another example of how um, no one is good enough for her cousin because underneath she knows that her cousin should not be married, period. Right. Or I would say, or that, um, you know, this person is too well-spoken or too polished, um, you know, too put together. It becomes a detriment. Yeah. I think poor Jasmine is kind of doomed if she does and doomed if she does not in this case. Um, And the specific question that gave rise to this incident was, um, the, the idea that Jasmine had only gotten out of her previous relationship seven months ago and Eris's cousin wanted to know, okay, is she really over that past relationship? Is she ready to be married? Um, and Jasmine responded that long before the relationship actually terminates, you know, there's an end of the feelings, perhaps commitment, the romance, the love that was there. And so for that reason, the end of the relationship seven months ago wasn't the end of her um, 
feelings, right? But that that had actually happened previously. So I, I think in a way that actually connects to what we were just talking about, about marriage and this idea of just the timestamp of when it starts, when it ends, and that being the signifier. And Jasmine's, I thought, really thoughtful and put together answer was, you know, okay, this relationship ended seven months ago, but I've been mentally checked out of it and ready and open for new things for longer than seven months. So I also think it's really fascinating that you're talking about, right, again, the idea of time, because, by the way, her cousin was fucking someone two weeks prior, and perhaps maybe because that relationship, quote, didn't mean anything, again, an arbitrary criterion, maybe that doesn't matter, but because Jasmine had a relationship seven months earlier, that's an issue. And again, I mean, I'm picking up on some anti-woman vibe from the cousin, because Often we categorize women in hetero relationships or sapphic relationships, to be honest with you, as, oh, like overly amorous, or they were the one that was more emotionally attuned to the relationship or the one that was more hung up with that partner. When in reality, again, we have to take Jasmine's word for it. Seven months breakup, she could have been done with this guy for years prior to that. Um, and, be, but because I think it's because she's a woman that she's like, oh, well, you have to, you can't be over him. Oh, you lit, you habituated with him. Well, you have to be really into him still. It's just not necessarily the case. Right. 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 That's absolutely right. Um, yeah. Anything else about that interaction with family or when they head out to go to Jamaica? There's just, um, two really quick things I wanted to mention. Um, there's something that Jasmine says at the beginning of like at one of their first scenes where she says that it's clear that or she's attracted to him and it's clear that he's attracted to her. So there's definitely chemistry there. Um, I don't think that is a nuanced idea of chemistry, thinking that someone's hot or bangable. Um, I think that they have that vibe, but I don't know about their chemistry. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that um, when Eris meets with her dad and her mom and brother, her dad does, you know, say kind of a very traditional thing, which is that, you know, I'm relying on you, Eris, now to take, you know, I've been in the man in her life. Now I'm relying on you to take that role. And yeah. it's clear in that moment that he is not ready for that. So what makes you say that, right? What gives you the vibe that he is not ready for this, you know, traditional sort of husband provider role. And again, I'm just going to, while you're thinking about that, I'm just going to go back to the time thing, right? This is somebody that they met 24 <laughs> hours, maybe less than 24 hours ago. And because of this official sort of institution, that's when her father, who has known her for her whole life, is seemingly exiting, right? And this new person steps in. I mean, that's that's so fascinating. Um, again, to just think about all of what we affiliate with marriage um, play out in this situation. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, um, you know, and if there's another theme of our of this episode, it's just the inapplicability of certain ideas attached to a new environment. So again, Yes, maybe you want a man in your your daughter's life, 
But to your point, you cannot isolate or identify who that man is within 24 hours, right? Mm -hmm. and, he, and dad probably even knows that, but they're applying all of these other type of, or applying these attributes that just simply cannot be applied. And um, to your question, I think Eris indicates that he's unprepared for the role through his body language, through constantly looking away, through not really having anything of substance and nor reassurance, but just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I get that. Um, but again, I cannot fault him because if someone, if I met someone 24 hours ago and then their dad's like, I need you to be the person in my child's life, I would just be like, but I don't even know what that means for them. You know, I don't even know how to listen to them. I don't know how they communicate. Yeah. And I think another thing that's fascinating is, you know, when we think about married at first sight, oftentimes it's compared to arranged marriage. And I suppose it is a form of an arranged marriage. But what's different in this show from sort of traditional forms of arranged marriage that we see in societies and cultures across the globe is that there's always familial participation before the marriage happens, right? So, you know, in, in you know, arranged marriage, um, you know, it's typical that the parents or at least one parent, someone, right, an authority in their family would find someone who they think is suitable, who's going to be a good match, who, you know, perhaps would align family interests, right, back in the old days in particular, um, there's a there's a participation of the family and usually a determination of this is going to be what's best for my child and or for our family unit as a whole. What's interesting when we compare that model of arranged marriage to the married at first sight model of arranged marriage is that and we we're seeing this play out already. We have parents who are not on board with the process. We have parents who are not sure about the person who's been chosen to be the spouse of their child. We have family members who are skeptical and even suspicious at times of the intentions of everyone. And so it's it is, I guess, technically an arranged marriage, but it's very different from, um, again, you know, in a situation where, let's say, Jasmine's father had met Eris, determined him to be a really great partner for his daughter, and then said, I feel totally comfortable with your qualifications of being able to take over this, you know, still patriarchal role in our family and be this provider, right? If that's how their family is set up. That dynamic doesn't happen. And nevertheless, that follow through, right? That transition still does happen. So really kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's bizarre. And I mean, I'm sure you, you agree with me, but I think this is going to crash and burn um, pretty fast. Yeah. Again, I have them as a no. My prediction is a no, primarily because of their lack of family support, particularly from this cousin. I don't think we've seen the last from her. I think she's going to be there on the tell-all, on the reunions. I don't think she's going away. Um, 
we haven't gotten into it, but I'm still very cautious about how the dog situation is going to play out when they actually do move in together. And then it's coming up a little bit more and more, but it seems like he has pretty um, severe dietary restrictions that she does not have. And that can be a really big deal in just sort of your day-to-day eating and consumption habits. Yeah, I think there's going to go definitely going to be some um, incompatibilities when it comes to lifestyle and just living arrangements in general. I cannot wait to see her house. Let's see it. I know. I want to see the dog situation. We, we have 13 dogs. Yeah. I have to know. <laughs> I have to know. Okay. So this leaves Gina and Clint. Um, yeah. Not a lot to say from my end about them. Um, do you have any thoughts? Um, well, we get the meeting with the family. His family says, have you seen him with his shirt off? And I'm like, brother, what are we indicating there? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Um, you know, again, she calls him a 12 out of 10. I, I don't know if I have my glasses need a new prescription. I'm confused how, why she like, she's really you know, loving this guy and everyone's talking about how hot and sexy he is. So you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Roll. Maybe I'm not seeing something, but, um, I mean, to each their own, if that's yeah. 12, I'm fine with that. That's okay. Yeah. Um, but other than that, no, I mean, they meet with family. Her family says that she's super busy. That's going to be his main issue. And, um, he does say an interesting thing that I'd like your take on um, when they talk about whether or not they've had sex the first night. Mm -hmm. And he says like, oh, well, when we're talking to our future kids, I don't want them to be like, wow, dad went for it. Uh, I want them to be like, oh, he took it slow. And I'm like, sweetie, your kids don't want to know when you banged. <laughs> like, he has no boundaries. I mean, A, that, but also it just... <laughs> To me, it seems like kind of a bizarre thing to be concerned about. Like you went on TV, you married a stranger. Do you think that the cameras are not going to be all up in your bedroom, in your, you know, makeout sessions on the beach that are probably coming in future episodes? Like it just seems like kind of a bizarre boundary, but also a weird virtue signal, right? Like, what is the problem of going for it if this is someone who is consenting, who's also into it? You know, you have that badge of official marriage, if that's important to you. Like, what would be the problem? I I disagree with um, kind of his take on that being a problematic stance. Yeah, and Pastor Cal in his like intro to their segment, right? Set this up with his 1950s rhetoric where he says, you know, although not all couples are, you know, ready to have sex the first night, they are married. So what they choose to do as a married couple is really up to them. And I'm like, what does what type of cachet does marriage have? Again, it's 1950s rhetoric. We're applying it to 2023. I just right. don't, again, I mean, like you said, like, see, it's just totally tone deaf to the fact that people get together on dating apps for sex explicitly and, and that's it. And then they never see each other again. Um, right. It, it's, it's just acting like that's not something that does happen and it does. And again, you know, if these are consenting individuals, that's their prerogative. 
and that sometimes these people get together and have sex and continue to see each other and then get married and then stay married at a clip that is much more durable than a married at first sight marriage. So yeah, it's just, it doesn't make sense. But again, this show does not make sense. And that's why it's juicy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that Clint is projecting, or I I don't know if I like it, but it's interesting (laughs) that Clint is projecting into the future that they will have kids. I mean, that Mm. should give us a glimmer of hope. Um, And for me, if we don't have anything else to say about them, my prediction for them is still a yes, Mm. primarily because of their age. They seem like people who want to be married, that they do want that rubber stamp, that they want that institution. Um, And I think Clint's comment that we were just discussing actually even reinforces this idea of perception, right? Outside perception being something that matters to him. And I think it does to Gina as well. Um, And for that reason, I think they're going to at least make it to decision day to stay together. I'm going to say no only because I'm swayed by the editing for the previews in the season. Um, I think they're going to have communication issues. Um, and we know he does have a big um, guffaw or yeah, when he says something about her appearance and her with her, I think she's a very strong sense of self and a strong constitution and also related to what she does in the service and beauty industry. I don't think she's going to ever forget anyone saying anything about her looks. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. I mean, even her tagline again is styling. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. I also saw in the preview that she makes some comments about him being a redhead and not really being into that. So yeah, a lot to go on the physical side with Gina and Clint to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah. again, this has been an interesting episode. Um Fascinating, not so sure. Interesting, I guess. Um, I'm interested to see how the rest of the honeymoon unravels. See how what something I love about Married at First Sight is just the group dynamics. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for them to get all together, and I want to see how everyone's kind of like mixing and mingling. And um, yeah, I guess we'll be watching that next Wednesday, and then 90 Day Fiance on Sunday. So we have a a, a packed week coming up. It's it's going to be busy, and I think that we can look forward as viewers to more drama next week. I mean, they are in Jamaica. They are at the resort. They're all together. You know, they're going to be in their bathing suits. They're going to be in a hotel room, right? Um, this is where <laughs> the drama typically comes out. So I have a feeling we're going to have a lot more to talk about next week. But also, um, we are going to be discussing 90 Day Fiance the other way. I can't wait. We're on, like I said, that 48-hour countdown already. Let us know what you think about this episode. It's still kind of intro. You can get your predictions votes in. Ask us questions. Are there topics you want us to take up? Did we miss something that you think is essential? Let us know by joining on our Patreon levels or getting in touch with us on social media. Again, our handle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram is at reality101. That's R-L-T-Y 101. Check out our tiers on Patreon as well. 
Um, and please make sure to give us five stars, like, rate, comment, um, and give us feedback on the podcast through those avenues as well. Um, otherwise, we'll catch you next week and we'll catch you on social media and on the Patreon. All right. And our official, I think, close outline is class dismissed.